And now, from inside a pair of 3D glasses, it's the IGN Digigod. Please welcome, won't you, the girl with the dragon tattoo, Wade Major, and Mark Kaiser. Aw, you're turning into an air drummer. I like that. I like the end of our song. You like the end of the song? Yes, I do. Well, that's good then. That's uh, that's our intro music from Ball and Chain, by the way, who uh, have some live gigs coming up in Los Angeles. So if you live in L.A., um, you let us know. You you might be able to go see Ball and Chain perform live. How do you know them? It, like a rock band doesn't seem like the type of the type of thing you would know. I uh, you know the Ball and Chain. One of the principles of Ball and Chain is that ball or chain? No, it, it's neither. Uh, no, one of the principles of Ball and Chain. Charles Bunce is a very very old and dear friend of mine. And uh, we grew up, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit older than he is, but uh, we grew Most up Most people are. Yeah, we grew up, you know, same, same milieu, same, uh, same area, same friends and so forth. And uh, he actually worked on one of my film school projects. What? Yes. Yes, absolutely. The all-nighter in the set that we built on the uh, soundstage at UCLA back in a year that I won't mention. When you were shooting on 16 millimeter. Actually, yeah, we were. We were shooting. This one... I can't remember if we were shooting this on 16. May have even shot this one on Super 8. But don't, but don't you know that your, your, your UCLA script is only good if you can shoot it on a red? Yeah. yeah that's, that's the only way it could be good. Yeah, that's the way it is now. <laughs> exactly. Sad. Speaking uh, of sad, Wade. We, yeah, Sidney Lumet. We lost him this week. Uh, I, I was know. sitting in the yogurt store. Yeah. I checked my iPhone, and it says uh, Lumet died, and I got very upset. I really did. I, you're, you're a big Lumet guy. I, he was like a he was like an idol of mine. I mean, he was such. You know what? Not only was he a great New York director, but what I loved about Lumet is that he had this anti-style style. You know what I'm saying? He had yeah. this anti-style style where he was never that showy. He yeah. was always very. You know, he shot on location. Well, he, he's one of those guys who there was a great piece in the L.A. Times about it. Um, about the way, the fact that he loved dealing with moral ambiguity, and that his films were ultimately about humanity and what makes us human. And if you think about it, I mean, just take a handful of the movies. Um, Twelve Angry Men, okay, is is really about a crisis of conscience. Uh, you look at the verdict. Similarly, a crisis of conscience. Uh, you look at something like um, Failsafe, which is basically Doctor Strange Love without the jokes. Well, what is Doctor Strange like without the jokes? It is a much more serious, less cynical film about a crisis of conscience. Uh, you know, the, his films are about those forks in the road that we all hit where there is no obvious right and there is no obvious wrong, and you sort of have to dig deep into the metal of what it is to have character and find a way out. And I think that's why the films are popular, because uh, they put you in a place that people don't often encounter in life. Well, one of his last great films was actually half a great film and half yeah. a largely unsuccessful love story, which was Q&A. Yeah. And Q&A with Timothy Hutton and Nick Nolte, that was also yeah. very much where Timothy Hutton plays this idealistic guy who comes up against this this brute force played by Nick Nolte, who's a corrupt cop. Yeah. And Timothy Hutton has to decide whether you know this corrupt cop who is corrupt basically for the good of servicing the city? Yeah, where does he? You know, is it worth the corruption to get to 
like the, the end of, of, of crime. Or... Now, now, obviously, we can all make a top five of Sidney Lumet films. They're almost all going to include, you know, The Verdict and Network and uh, and Dog Day Afternoon and, and Serpico. And, I mean, there's any number of them. You know, that, that, I mean, the guy made so many great films. It's unbelievable. What's your favorite? I would have to say probably The Wiz. <laughs> yeah, of course you would. <laughs> Can you believe he did the whiz? Yeah, I can. What can't. was that about? I don't know. He had a, he had a chance to do something different. I, I I mean I have to say network only because the thing with network and I was explaining this uh, the other day to somebody, which was you, know, you watch network today in the scenes where these you know where, where the network is taking pitches for their for new shows, yeah, yeah. and these civilians walk in and they say you know let's do a show about these just regular people, mm-hmm. and they say you know that's crazy, and you go well that's just reality TV. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is just reality TV, but you know what? This movie came out 30 years before reality TV. Yeah. And, you know, in the movie, there's all sorts of TV networks. It's not just the big three. Yeah. There's other networks, too. And you look at the movie today, you're like, oh, so what? There's other TV networks. Today. Well, you know what? This film was 30 years ago. It was prescient. Yes, it was. It was prescient. Yes, it was. Uh, I'd have to say my favorite. Uh, it's, it's almost a tie, and it's a weird tie. Uh, it's going to be a tie between Serpico which I just think is is just so unbelievably great in so many ways. And um, you're going to laugh. Garbo Talks. I love Garbo Talks. I think that is a sweet, deeply affecting movie. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually going to go off the, uh, off the charts. What are you going to do? I'm going to say, when it, now this is not one of my favorite City Limit films, but it's a terrific film, and I thought it was really funny. And I'm not saying it's a great one of his films, but it tends to be a little overlooked, which is Death Trap. That's an interesting one. I thought Death Trap yeah. was funny with Michael Caine. Remember that one? I do. And very Christopher much. Reeve. Well, yeah. one, Which Christopher they remade. Reeves. They remade with uh, d- Kenneth Branagh directed the remake, didn't he? Did they? Oh, gosh. That's dreadful. dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> we said Death Row at the same time. Uh, yeah. uh, and also Prince of the City. Who could remember the scene? In, who, who, who could forget the scene in Prince of the City when Jerry Orbach storms into that guy's office and turns over his desk? It was the best scene ever. Yep. Rampaging extra. (laughs) Except it was more like a rampaging supporting performance. It was the rampaging Orbach. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to start off, and I'm going to blow through these very quickly, but I want to, uh, you know, Guyam, good company. They they distribute a lot of stuff for a lot of people. They do a a lot of television stuff as well for TLC, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, all that kind of stuff. But uh, today... I'm going to shine a light on some of the lesser-known Guyam titles. Oh, great, Wade. I'm going to go ahead and just read the paper. I'm going to blow through this because, you know what, summer's coming, and that means you've got to get your body in shape. But it also means you need to get your mind in shape, mind and body, mind and body. Guyam does a lot of this stuff. So now, is, is, is Guyam a Goyam? Guyam is spelled G-A-I-M. Oh, so Guyam is not a Goyam. Uh, no. <clears throat> so, uh, first of all, Guyam, for your mind... For your mind, Guyam has this series, a very interesting series, called Portraits of Inspiring Lives. And uh, each one of these is just a a portrait of a certain person who has achieved something of significance. And uh, you are supposed to, uh, you know, watch this and kind of channel their brilliance and be inspired by them. It is, uh, it's it's pretty cool. I like them. I know it's all kind of self-help bookish, but why not? Uh, this is the first one here is Jack Canfield, who uh, wrote the uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. And uh, this guy, you know, you can make fun of him, but I think he's he's got something. He's got something going on. Uh, next one is Marsha Weeder. Uh, now, you ever heard of Marsha Weeder? Uh, yeah, that's you don't uh, you don't know who Marsha Weeder is. You mm. don't watch Oprah. 
Missed, I do not. No, you don't. She's, Why do you watch Oprah? I don't watch Oprah, but I know who she is because I uh, I read the uh, the information on the DVD. <laughs> wow, Thank you're you. truly in the know. Well, you know, she's uh, she's like a a regular on uh, on Oprah on Passion and things like that, and uh, so you get uh, you get her full little lecture deal here on uh, you know getting the most out of your life. We also when I want to get the most out of my life, Wade, I watch Oprah. And then, uh, lastly, of these is uh, of the portraits of inspiring lives is Bob Proctor, who wrote "You Were Born Rich." Now, that's not true. Uh, I don't know. I don't know many people that's true for, but Bob Proctor, uh, probably the lesser of these three, the least interesting. But all three are pretty interesting. Imagine being the least interesting of that bunch. Here's what's more interesting for you, Mark. This is your buddy, Deepak Chopra. Grow younger, live longer. They, they, all, they all have this little uh, purple border on them. It's really cool. Uh, because Deepak purple Chopra. is a very, uh, 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 it's a very. Uh, you know what uh, I like about Deepak Chopra? Superstitious. He's the he's the guru who doesn't doesn't pretend like he is. A, he doesn't wear a robe. He doesn't put a you know any. any he doesn't wear any of the weird stuff that gurus do. <laughs> I know right? where you were going by the way with that. What? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't do the guru ah. thing. He doesn't do the guru thing, right? He's not like uh, no, Maharishi a, Mahesh Yogi or any of those he's, guys. He's just a dude. He's just a dude. He's Indian, which is sort of halfway to the whole guru Swami thing. But I saw him, and you know, I saw him, and I was with a friend of mine who's very much into that stuff. He was yeah. sitting in a New York, very expensive New York restaurant in Union Square, and he was just sitting there by himself, just uh, having lunch. All this is, he's, he just talks about ten steps to get hold of your life. And uh, it's pretty simple stuff. It's really almost like common sense. But, you know, God bless him for, uh, for going there. And then lastly, uh, we have something that's, a, that's much more kind of uh, new agey. It's called Black Hole, W-H-O-L-E. I don't uh, get it. Okay. And uh, this is uh, the, the, the central figure here is Nassim Haramein. And... Uh, Nassim Haramein is an expert on the geometry of hyperspace, theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, and ancient civilizations. Now, that's from his bio. There is no possible way that I can actually explain to you what this is about other than the fact that it's sort of like taking uh, astrophysics and relativity and elevating it to some kind of a weird metaphysical philosophy. Um, A little too groovy for me, but interesting nonetheless. And uh, it's, you know, only about an hour or so long. So it, it's, it's sufficiently engaging. And then, once you have your mind in gear, here, Mark, in a rapid, rapid fire, here's what you can get. Okay. And, and what's interesting about this is that every single one of these features a woman in the artwork. Every single one. There's not a single one of these that, doesn't have, that, that has a man on it. I, you um, know what? I wonder why that is. Uh, well, let, let's go through. We'll talk about it in a second. There is a shape, five-day jump start, five complete workouts. You can uh, get your butt and thighs and abs in order. Then we've also got yoga philosophy, which is two workouts. Uh, it's like a yoga toning thing, thanks to um, a yoga expert named Mandy Ingber. Uh, we've got Marie Windsor's flat abs Pilates. Now Marie Windsor, she's like the Pilates uh, queen. You know, she's this is this is she's all about this. This is getting flat abs, two different workouts. I know you're you loving this. Jillian Michaels, you know, of uh, Biggest Loser? Uh, yeah, I've heard the name. Ripped in 30. This is a 30-day diet plan. 30 months. Four weeks, four workouts, uh, the way to just, like, get yourself totally smoking hot for the beach. Uh, then there is two workouts on this one. It's the Firm Weight Loss System. Visible results in 10 workouts or less. Guaranteed, Mark. Guaranteed. Or else you get your money back. Uh, Trudy Styler's Weight Loss Yoga. 
This is four workouts on this one disc. Uh, Trudy Styler is another. She's like to yoga what Marie Windsor is to Pilates. Well, Joe, Trudy Styler is married to Sting. Well, thank you for pointing that out. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Oh, oh hell yeah. She's no, married to Sting. Well, then no wonder. Been married he, for many years. No wonder he's uh, so tantric. And then uh, there is the five-day fit trouble zone solutions. Five workouts to get your glutes, your thighs, your hips all slimmed and toned up. Mark, you got to work on those hips. I have to work on everything at this point. And then uh, from Prevention Fitness Systems, the 400-calorie fix workout. This is about getting your metabolism all juiced up so everything just burns faster. Now, I, I, now, I, I was told uh, – I had a, uh, met somebody last uh, night or a couple nights ago, and they said yes. you should, should – a dietitian. Yeah. She says you should eat every two hours something. Yeah, a little snack or something. It keeps but your metabolism every, going. Every two hours? Yeah. That seemed like a lot. I, I would think every three hours. Four Nibble on tops. something. Nibble on something. Every two hours. That, that's why a lot of people Eight, carry, ten, that's 12, That's why a lot two, of people four. carry raisins with them. Have a box of raisins in the car. I hate raisins. Have a box of cranberries in the car. That's not bad. Keep a burger in the car at all times. <laughs> yeah. There you now go. Now we're talking. Okay. Keep a gigantic uh, brownie. <laughs> In the glove compartment. Oh, my, be awesome. Scrape the mold off uh, if you need to. I would. It would be fine. No, it, but this is the thing. On, on, on the Pilates stuff, I'm really – I think Pilates is terrific. Uh, I'm going to have to really just get kicking on that one of these days. But I found it interesting looking at these. They're all geared toward women, Mark. Every last one of them all geared toward women. Because women want to look younger and be more fit. But don't women – wouldn't men want to look good for the women that are getting fit? No, because, because men, rea- men realize that women – here's the thing. Now, I think this is evolutionary. The reason why pretty women always go, or sometimes go, pretty women go with like guys who aren't that handsome, fascinating, is because women gently for, sipping coffee. No, what? Uh, women a, always a go little for night music, whatever it is. Women always go for um, yes. rich guys. Always. Now, now, why is that? No, guy. Oh, put it this way: women always evolute from an evolutionary standpoint. This is how it works. Women look for guys who can protect and provide for them. Now, whether that means that, that, that they have the biggest cave yeah. or whether that means they have the biggest bank account. Or the biggest spear. Or the biggest house or the biggest spear. Women look for guys who can provide for them. Men look for women who look like they can bear children. Evolutionary. That's why when men go for women who have large breasts or are pretty or are tall, it uh, yeah. means that they, are more child, they have more childbearing looks. This is in our evolutionary DNA. Okay. By the way, can I say something? We've got, we've got. I'm sure we've got some gay listeners out there that would just be. If we had, if we were taking callers, if this were a live show, they'd be dying to chime in. I'm sure. Well, because that the, that's a whole different dynamic. Well, I'm not, but th- this this doesn't yeah. apply to all heterosexuals. Okay, I'm just saying. I mean, it applies to no homosexuals, but it applies to, it, it applies to not all heterosexuals either. I'm oh, saying from a, a generally from an evolutionary standpoint. I hear you. I hear you. Now that's wait, fine. can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Um, there is a movie coming out. With uh, uh, straight to DVD, with Bradley Cooper. Yeah, it's called Bending All the Rules. Yeah. Now, coming out in June. Coming out in June. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what you're thinking: thinking Bradley Cooper, Hangover Two, Limitless. Yeah. He's the new it guy of all time. Why does he have a straight to DVD well, movie? Why is this going straight to DVD? Wade. Yeah, well, there's a know. reason. Yeah. Because this film was done in 2002 under a different name. Ah. Uh-huh. In 2002. It was called Carnival Knowledge. Uh huh. And uh, now, because Carnival Knowledge is too out there and weird and strange, and yeah. it's not marketable. What does that mean, Carnival? Well, that, bending that all the like rules, fun. boy. Bending all the rules, really. That tells me everything. But bending all the rules, which is about as generic as it gets, yeah, 
implies to a young, stupid audience that, yeah. oh, he's probably a lover who's going to bend all the rules and get in love. Whereas Carnival Knowledge... Let me, ask you that, let me ask you a question. As seeing as that's coming out in June, isn't uh, The Hangover 2 coming out in June as well? Excuse me, I was drinking, drinking vodka. Yeah. Water. <laughs> have you ever had a drink in your whole life? No. Why not? Uh, Anything? No. Have you, ha, ha, but Water. Have you, ever, have you ever had like... Vo- like Vodka chicken. There's something like I chicken. Don't, I don't even like soft drinks. I, I've never seen you drink a Coke. I can't stand it. I don't like. I don't like Coke, Pepsi. I don't even. I don't Ginger even. Ale? No. Mr. Pibb. No. Doctor Pepper. Sparkling water, juice, sparkling water, regular water, and Orangina, and that's it. <laughs> Orangina. That's sort of soft drinking. It, it is, but it's a it's a euro it's a euro thing, so it's okay. Okay, so basically, if Orangina was only available in the states, you would not be no, uh, so, no. But because it's French, yeah, I'm very twee that way. Uh, you're out of your mind. All right. TV, Mark, what do we got? We have Dragnet, season four. Ah! Now, who doesn't love themselves from Dragnet, right? Jack Webb. Huh? Jack Webb. That, you know, Dragnet was a great show for the time. And ja- uh, what I liked about Dragnet is that it starred um, Harry Morgan. And Harry Morgan would, of course, go on to this uh, is, star in MASH. I, I, I love the way that cops were depicted on this show. I, it just it captures a certain cop sensibility that we don't really have anymore. There's a, it's a whole gumshoe thing. It's almost post, post-modern noir. And uh, Webb, was, Webb was a much savvier guy than I think a lot of people give him credit for being. Post-modern noir? Yeah, you know, post-modern television noir. Wow. Well, this is the final 26 episodes of this uh, particular series. There's uh, four discs on uh, season four. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by, by this point, uh, let's face it, we're getting into the 70s. Uh, the show's becoming a little old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. You're starting to get into a little more, uh, you know, hip uh, yeah. representations of yeah. cops and robbers. So really, the show had run its course. But you know, it's uh, it's fun. Why not? It's a it is a it is a good show, and Harry Morgan is always great on it. Uh, I think he's better on this show than on Mash, to be honest. What? I do. Yeah, you're mine. I was never a fan of Mash. What? Oh, Mash is the best. I know. So you keep telling. I me. mean, like the last six six seasons was it was like a big yeah. pun fest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. still, it Mash is the. Oh my God, Mesh is the best. I know. How dare you? Everyone That's tells an me outrage. that. Yeah. Out of your mind. Go. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Dallas, they just cannot keep, they just, they just have to keep squeezing this thing for every last possible DVD exploitation. Uh, you thought you were done with Dallas, right, on DVD? Nope, nope, not true. The Dallas Movie Collection is now out. That's right, folks, the Dallas Movie Collection. Uh, the show ran for well over a decade, straight through the 80s, late 70s into uh, barely into the early 90s. Um, but they, um, they've actually, they, there were some movies involved in this, and, uh, I think I must have missed all of these. Anyway, there were, there were these three feature-length movies, uh, which included a prequel, and, uh, that's all now here on this fabulous set, which includes, uh, the retrospective, uh, Dallas Reunion, Return to South Fork, uh, as a bonus. And uh, you know what? Uh, they're all pretty damn old at that point. It's uh, it's kind of sad. But uh, you seen Larry Hagman lately? You know, man, it's sad. I know he's got to be in his one hundred and sixties by now. It's something like that. It's it's not quite. It's, the, the thing that makes me really sad is that I look at it and I don't. It's like I don't go, "Wow, Jr. is old." I go, "Oh man, Tony is so old." Because I'm still on I Dream I of Genie. You know, that's well, still my touchstone. Well, but anyway, the, the movie Tony was not my favorite character from I Dream of Genie. Major Healy. It was Major Healy. For sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But see, but see, that's also because we were big fans of the Bob Newhart show. 
That's right. And he was he was Bill Daly was great on the Bob Newhart show. That is wow. right. He was, he was my favorite. What's he doing now? He, here's the thing. In, in in that time, there were two supporting actors on sitcoms who I loved even more than the leads. You ready? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Bill Daly. Yeah. And Ted Knight. That's true. Like Ted Knight was the greatest on the Mary Tyler Moore yeah. show. I mean, Hall of Fame. Yeah. And Bill Daly, for whatever reason, was my always always my favorite. Yeah. On uh, Bob I agree. Newhart. I agree. Good stuff. He was the greatest. Speaking greatest. of speaking of good stuff, um, actually, not speaking of good stuff. You know, Wade and I always uh, rail against um, when DVD companies break up the seasons into volumes one and volume two. So Imagine stupid. Wade if there's a volume three. <sighs> I Carly season two volume three fifteen episodes two movies. Here's an idea: just release one episode per disc. Well, because they can't do that because they want you to buy three different things, so that uh, that Lame. costs more money. Lame. They get more of not not the girl's money. They get more of her parents' money. Yeah, her parents' is is, is his money. Yeah. I Carly season three contains a bunch of crap. Goodbye. All right, you know, Rock and Bullwinkle and Friends was uh, recently released in a complete collection, but they also realized uh, when they released the complete hey, collection. Hey, there's good stuff over there. Oh, yeah, we're getting to it. Yeah, but there's just something I want. We're getting, <laughs> we're I, getting to I it. I want something. It was just us. Yeah, yeah it's a conscious. Okay, we're we're getting we're getting there. You're mean. Um, Rock and Bullwinkle and Friends. It, it's a great transfer, by the way. No, it's, it's not. It's splendiferous. I, I don't care. Spectacularosity. Because you're, you're not giving it to me. I don't care. Rock and Bullwinkle and Friends, uh, before they released the complete collection, they, they had only released a handful of the original seasons, and then they went to the complete collection. And a lot of people thought, well, wait a minute. I bought the first few seasons, and now you release a complete collection. What am I going to do? I have to sell these and get the complete collection? No. Now they're, now they're kind of backtracking. And season five, 33 episodes. Um, they, it's very funny. 33 episodes or Moose Adventures. They should take all of them. Yes. They should put them in a box set, and the box set should be in the shape of moose antlers, and then each little season mm-hmm. should each the, the discs for each season should be in one of the little antler horns. You should be in marketing. And anyway, actually with ideas like that proves that I should not be in marketing. What they have done though, the uh, the previous seasons were all released in these kinds of digipack packages that were not very well put together, and this is now finally in a nice regular old keep case. It's solid. It'll fit nicely on the shelf, so don't you don't if you don't want to go out and uh, get rid of your current seasons and get the complete collection, you can do this. It is uh, it's awfully fun. Jay Ward is still a genius, and the writing on that show is par excellence. Could I say that again? Par excellence. You may say that. Yeah. May I say what's not par excellence? Oh, you're just ripping on everything. Well, oh come on, it's life unexpected. I know. The first and second seasons of uh, this uh, terrible show is kind of a Gilmore. Girlsy type thing. You know why it's a Gilmore Girlsy type thing? Why? Uh, because it's on the CW. Yeah. And uh, it's bad times. You know what? Mm. It's about this. It's, uh, it takes place in Portland. There's this uh, radio DJ, and uh, he's got a bunch of pals, and uh, no one cares. Don't make me talk about this. Come on. Okay. That's fine. It's life unexpected. Done. Nobody cares. See, Wade, I'm willing to say, the no- see, whereas you have to go through all of these shows and, and, and do them their, and give them their due, yeah. I have no such qualms. That's fine. If it sucks, it sucks. Uh, you know what? Uh, emergency, the final rescues from Universal. I just, I don't know. I, it was I, cool at the time. Yeah, I guess it was cool at the time. This is when, you know, I mean, it sort of coincided with uh, uh, Adam 12, and it's when television was trying to be a little more action-oriented, and they were going a little more on location, and a lot of cop and firemen and paramedic shows, but I don't know. It just feels old. 
It does. I, I, I used to watch the reruns occasionally, but I don't know if I could handle entire seasons and it stuff was, with It this. was never my favorite of those shows from that era. It yeah, was fun. I agree. And then yeah. Julie London in it, and she played it. Well, the episode. reason they call it The Final Rescue is this is, only like, this is like the last, not even a fraction of a season. It's like nine hours worth of stuff, so... But anyway, it's there if you're if you're a big fan. Uh, Friday Night Lights is a show that a lot of friends of ours really, really love. I have tried my best to enjoy it, and uh, this is the fifth and final season, and this is my last chance at trying to enjoy it. Nope, just don't quite get it. Uh, I, the movie itself, the original movie that inspired all of this, uh, directed by uh, Peter Berg, uh, didn't really do anything for me, uh, and uh, this doesn't really do it either. But... You know what? It is well made. I give it that. Uh, apparently well written, but just don't get into the characters. But uh, there it is. The fifth fi- and final season is available if you're a completist. If you haven't gotten the previous ones, nothing that I say is going to matter to you. Uh, in Plain Sight is a uh, USA uh, Network oh, show. I, like the, I actually kind of like this show. I like her, actually. I She's, don't like the show. I like her. Well, Mary McCormick, who uh, made a big splash in the Howard Stern movie and has sort of, uh, you know, kind of futzed around ever since, uh, hitting it here and there, but never really reaching escape velocity. Uh, here she's got her own show. She plays a uh, U.S. Uh, marshal. She uh, serves in Albuquerque, and she works for the uh, Federal uh, Witness Protection Program. Albuquerque? Albuquerque, yes. And, uh, you know, it's uh, Wade likes the show. I think it's fine. I like her. And I've I've always liked her. I've liked her since uh, basically the Howard Stern movie, uh, Private Parts. I think that these USA shows mean well, but somehow they they never quite reach the heights of the HBO stuff and the Showtime stuff. Yeah. Um, But here we have um, season three of In Plain Sight. By this time, uh, the characters are pretty well established. It blows my mind. This has been around for three years. It, fe- it feels like it debuted yesterday. I know. Well, there's, th- there's a lot of good guest stars this season, including Donnie Wahlberg, Allison Janney, and uh, Stephen Weber. It's okay. It's okay. And uh, bonus features, deleted scenes, cast interviews, a bunch of crap. <laughs> uh, a couple of British things here, Mark. I'm going to go British on you just for a second. The, uh, the BBC Tudors Collection, uh, you know, here, here's what this is. The BBC Tudors Collection uh, is taking advantage of the fact that the Tudors starring Jonathan Rhys Myers has been very, very popular on Showtime. So they thought, well, now that people actually understand the Tudors, now that they know what that means, uh, maybe we can capitalize on this. So what they've done is they've thrown three separate BBC productions dealing with various phases of the Tudors' uh, dynasty uh, into one set. These are not these are not all made at the same time. They've all been released separately previously, but uh, they kind of, you know it's it, it's nice that they throw it all together and they're trying to exploit the Tudors' name. What you get in here is the Shadow of the Tower, along with the Six Wives of Henry VIII, along with Elizabeth R. Now, Elizabeth R., which features one of Glenda Jackson's most amazing performances ever as Queen Elizabeth I, is uh, a really, really, really good miniseries. Uh, The Six Wives of Henry VIII is also pretty darn good. Shadow of the Tower, kind of weak, I think. Nonetheless, um, if you love this kind of British stuff and you don't have any of these, or you might want two out of the three, I'm sure the price really, uh, you can probably get it on Amazon or something, and it's uh, justifiable. But if you already have one or two and you feel like you've, you've got as much from Henry VIII's family as you could possibly tolerate, uh, I don't know that it really makes a lot of sense to get it. Uh, and then lastly, on the British end of things, the complete collection of Lark Rise to Candleford. I want to say that again, Mark. Lark Rise to Candleford. God, that just sounds so British. It, 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 it sounds like it was made in Manhattan, right? Lark Rise to Candleford. You oh, hear that? All, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Albuquerque. 
so yeah, this has been out uh, previously in uh, in each of his little uh, individual sets, but now they throw all four of them into the one big boxed set. And uh, enjoy yourself uh, some extremely British TV. Uh, it's a it's a nice whopping set. Mark, what's that bobblehead thing in front of you? Oh, H.R. Puffin stuff. That's, Come on. But that's been out before. It has, but H.R. Uh, uh, Puffin stuff, the complete series, has not been out before in this great box set with a bobblehead. H.R. Puffin stuff serious? bobblehead. It's awesome. Now, for oh those who don't know, uh, Puffin Stuff was one of the uh, great uh, children's shows of the uh, 70s. It is a combination of live action and, uh, I guess, like puppetry. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the, the Croft brothers were Puffin Stuff when they thought this up. That is true. This you know, and Lidsville are both so completely and totally drug-oriented, I can't believe that parents at the time didn't pick up on it. Well, his name is, after all, Puffin, Puffin Stuff. Stuff. What is the stuff what that they're puffing? What a silly bobblehead. Supposedly, he says. Lids. But, um, no, you know what? Uh, HR Puffin stuff is great. You know, they, uh, they had done this. Um, they had help, helped uh, work on the show called the Banana Splits Hour. And so they, after, after the success of the Banana Splits Hour, they were asked to develop their own oh, Saturday that's morning right. show. They, they were involved in, with the Banana Splits. That's I right. I do remember that. That is right. La, 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 la. That's right. Yeah, so the, uh, NBC that. asked them to uh, uh, develop a Saturday morning children's show, and they wound up with HR Puff and stuff. And yeah. it's, uh, it's great when did stuff. this whole bobblehead thing start? Uh, it's I, I you know what I remember seeing it in baseball promotions, but I don't know whether it existed before that. It's maddening. I have a Marta bobblehead that I got. Marta. To, Marta. Who's Marta? Marta was the, the is the great the top female soccer player in the world. Oh, God. played for the LA Soul before it folded. Oh, oh Christ on a cracker. Uh, let's go through some. Yeah, well, you, we know we'll finish off with the really good stuff over here. So we'll knock out a few of these docs real quickly. I know a lot of people out there are getting very, very excited about the royal wedding. I am not one of them. Oh, not only my, not only am I not one of them. Yeah. But that day, by the way, yeah. I work for a television, a, a cable network. Oh no. That day. Yeah. I have to work from midnight till four a.m. Midnight till four a.m. Are you serious? Midnight. No, I have to work. Here's the thing. I have to work from nine a.m. to six p.m. You know, right. for a regular day. And then I've got to uh, work front. Then I have to come back. Hi, Wade. Hi there. Then I have to come back to the office at midnight. Yes. And work until four a.m. Wow. Midnight till four a.m. And that then sucks. and then go home. Yeah. Attempt to sleep. Now yeah. by four a.m. you're basically up for the next day. Yeah. You're not going to get to sleep. I will have to. Uh, I will have to come back to work about noon that. day. Later that day. Well, I'm going to make a really bad pun here. Midnight to gonna, 4 a.m. I'm going to make a big, a, a good pun here. You're going to enjoy this. This is called a royal romance, William and Kate, an unauthorized tribute, an unauthorized tribute. Uh, this is just silly, drippy nonsense that was thrown together very quickly to uh, take advantage to exploit the whole nonsense regarding this thing. I don't know why Americans are so fascinated by this. I really don't. Maybe some, if we have any British listeners out there or anyone in Europe that has maybe a clue as to why Americans would be so fascinated by the, the British damn royal family, let us know. I don't but, know why the British. Are, I mean, look, I, I understand the history of it and the the, the, the fact that uh, the fact that the Queen is still alive. Yeah, she's like eighty thousand years old. Yeah, I mean that seems kind of cool. Yeah, but uh, they're just it's just ceremonial. I know they don't do anything. No, but they have a lot of money. <laughs> uh, great, and they, so does uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, exactly. Well, anyway, the on the back of this, I was reading this, and it was like celebrating the British air and the most breathtaking romance of the century. And I thought celebrating the British air, well, the British air has no more British hair. 
because you know what? This guy should have gotten married like seven years ago when he still had a, a good head. But these photos, not looking good. He's starting to look like uh, like his granddad at this point. I'm not going to. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to uh, honor British. that with a chuckle, even a courtesy chuckle. British hair. Did you hear me? British hair. I don't get it. Hair. Uh, the Last Continent, narrated by Donald Sutherland. This is re- this is on Blu-ray. This is uh, pretty cool. This is a 430-day-long HD odyssey that takes you uh, all over the um, uh, Antarctic. And uh, is it as good as you know other documentaries about the Antarctic? Is it uh, you know? Well, no, not necessarily, but it's great. It's nicely shot, and it's one of those things that you throw onto your Blu-ray player and let it run during a party or when you have a, you know having guests or a dinner party or whatever, and let them just kind of go, wow, look at the ice, look at the penguins, look at the uh, look at the big boat, look at the seals and otters and whatever else there is. No otters down there, but you know. And then uh, along with that, there's also a David Suzuki narrated complete series of Antarctic Mission on Blu-ray, which is um, a better documentary. It's it's better material in terms of being informative and educational. Probably not as compellingly shot. Uh, I think the other one uh, has some has better photography. So get them both. Why not double up? And uh, in honor of what I think is one of the better films of last week, uh, Soul Surfer, the uh, true story of Bethany Hamilton, the, uh, the young, well, she was 13 at the time when a shark bit her arm off, and she's now like 18, and she's you know, a pro surfer with one arm. It's an incredible story. Go see it. Good movie. Did well at the box office this week. Well, in tandem with that, there's a great new uh, Dana Brown film on, uh, on Blu-ray called High Water. And uh, High Water actually was out uh, theatrically last year, and uh, they, you know, same people who made uh, Step Into Liquid and Dust to Glory. I reviewed it on the radio at the time, and you know what? This the Blu-ray is really, really terrific. This is about um, North Shore surfing competition, and uh, it's just you know you, you got to be a surfer to enjoy it, or at least enjoy surfing footage. But it's all about the photography, the uh, the competition itself. You know, you, a lot of surfers that. I'm sure surfers probably know the names, but it's it's really very impressive photography, so you just got to tip your hat to it. Uh, something I'm less certain about, Mark, did you see Marwin Call by any chance? I did not. Do you know about Marwin Call? Uh, it's, it's a movie that is on DVD. That's right. A lot of people thought it was terrific. Okay. One person I... said it was, a fast, it was as fascinating as documentaries can get. Thank you for reading off the box. <laughs> the... the um, Oh. Uh, this, lot, this is another one that I had to review on radio. It um, it's out on DVD and on Blu-ray. There's no point in getting on Blu-ray, honestly. Uh, it looks great, but the the movie just doesn't doesn't demand it. This is the story of a guy who was actually once beaten to within a, an inch of his life, and to as part of therapy, he started making these little miniature dramas which sort of recreated and reenacted in many cases his own ordeal kind of symbolically, except you get like little Nazi miniature people and these little towns. Anyway, the whole thing is basically about this microscopic or not microscopic, but miniature world that he creates with these things. And then it gets into a really weird place, man. It like takes a very bizarre turn at one point and um, kind of a cross-dressing turn. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, but the movie is just, it's odd and peculiar, and I guess if you really get into this guy's story, uh, it's an interesting film, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't know, I just felt like I was watching weirdness the whole time. It never got inside my heart. 
and uh, then lastly, we got a uh, from First Run Features, a really good documentary here, uh, really, really good, Behind the Burly Q, which is a, uh, a straightforward documentary about the history of burlesque. And if you don't know anything about burlesque, it's not just, you know, uh, Gypsy Rosalie and strippers and, uh, you know, feather boas and all that stuff that's typically talked about. Uh, there really is a fascinating cultural history to this. And um, this does a really, really go- a great job of kind of uncovering it and going into the nuances of it. They find all of the the central figures who can give you a kind of a historical backdrop. And it is, it is very, very interesting. It, uh, it's a part of American history, American cultural history that people don't necessarily like to talk about. But uh, it's important. And there are all kinds of ways in which this sort of informs the modern theatrical experience, both cinematically and in terms of live theater. So uh, that is a really good doc. That's my doc pick of the week, to be honest, behind the burly queue, first-run features. Really? Yes. And would that be a good double feature with your doc? And actually would, to be honest, with Schlock. Yes, thank you for, the, for handing that over. Yes, it would. Yes, it would, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Schlock, the secret history of American movies. Oh, I hate country music, so I hate country strong. And that's the first thing we'll talk about in why new was movies. It, why was this song nominated for an Oscar? I don't know. That was terrible. Uh, but you know why? Because I think they wanted Gwyneth Paltrow to sing on the award ceremony. This is a terrible movie that was um, directed by a woman named Shauna Fest. Now, Shauna Fest, her first film was a very interesting movie that I think uh, Wade and I kind of both liked called The Greatest. And uh, The Greatest was an interesting film from uh, 2009 and yeah. um, with Carrie Mulligan and Pierce Brosnan. And she winds up um, following it up with this, this uh, country music thing. You know, Garrett Hedlund, Gwyneth Paltrow plays this, uh, you know, whatever drunken country star, yeah, and uh, yeah, Tim yeah. McGraw is her husband manager, and there's a big uh, <sighs> comeback, and it's all just so terrible. Fabulous. I, I don't like country music. Uh, I, I don't uh, see the point in this. And, you know, this, this story's been done a million times before. Better. The Blu-ray looks fine. Special features include the original ending, which is uh, frankly not as... I mean, I'm sorry, it's frankly better than the one that they wound up with. Some deleted scenes, a couple of um, music video things, and uh, it's it's just bad times. There's a couple Blu-ray exclusives, which is nice, but in terms of um, spending the extra bucks, these extras, these Blu-ray exclusive extras, not worth the bucks. You know what, Mark? My favorite film of last year. I know you love this, too. You're not going to give me anything this No, week. no, the, the King's Speech, baby. You're mean. Best Picture winner for Academy Awards. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, even when, it, when uh, Social Network was running the table and everyone said, Social Network's going to win everything, I said, don't count out the King's Speech. And sure <laughs> enough, the Weinsteins, they came right up the gut. They did an amazing strategy uh, for promoting the film with the guilds, and they pulled it out, and this thing wound up winning four Academy Awards. Should have won more, but you know what? Eh, there you go. It, uh, it, the story of how uh, King George, father of Queen Elizabeth, a gra- uh, 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 great-grandfather of uh, you know, the, the guy who doesn't have any hair Steve? that I was talking about a second ago. Alex Rodriguez? No, the British hair, hairless. Oh, hairless, uh, Prince, uh, yeah, the, the guy that with the guy, teeth. Yeah, the guy with the teeth, exactly. Yeah, anyway, um, his great-grandfather had a stuttering problem. Played by Colin Firth, won an Oscar for it. Jeffrey Rush plays uh, Lionel Logue, the Australian who helped him get over it. Very miracle worker-y, very uh, My Fair Lady slash Pygmalion-y, but a great film, just the same. This was sent to us on Blu-ray and DVD. I have to say, forget about the DVD. Throw it away. Toss it. Don't even think about it. 
this is a movie made for Blu-ray, movie spectacularly well shot, unbelievably good photography, not just because it's well lit and it's got cool lens. No, it's, it's the way things are composed in this movie. We've talked about it before, all the kind of off-center compositions. It's incredibly well shot. Blu-ray serves this movie uh, like a great butler serving a, a billionaire. I don't know what that means. But the, uh, the coolest stuff on here, actually, are some of the extras that um, give you orientation regarding the real King George VI and the real Lionel Logue. And uh, it is very educational. So it's not just all making a featurette stuff where the actors go, blah, 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 the script, nice to work with Tom Hooper, blah, 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 blah. Sick of that stuff. Really, honestly, all that EPK nonsense. Forget it. The uh, commentary with Tom Hooper, pretty good. I expected better, to be honest, but it's really good. It's, um, it, it, it's very commentary-y. Uh, so he, he does the commentary thing. I'd like for him to be maybe a little more lively, but he's forthcoming and uh, doesn't give you as many. He doesn't pull the veil back from all of his tricks, which I, I don't think we have a right to expect him to do. But um, very good, just the same. You know who my favorite Hooper is? Not Tom Hooper, but the Hal Needham film Hooper starring Burt Reynolds as <laughs> aging stuntman Sonny Hooper. Why on earth would you even <laughs> even go there? Fiddler on the Roof, 40th anniversary Blu-ray of Fiddler on the Roof. Why'd you give this to me? Because <laughs> you're Jewish. Did you give Jewish. this because I'm Jewish? Yeah, absolutely. You are so... I just wanted to, get, I wanted to get some kind of a some kind of a joke. I thought you'd have some kind of, uh, you know, joke that, some that goes... Some Semitic joke to Yeah, something that goes around the people that, that those of us who are Gentiles don't ever hear. Well, wait, something wh- where, like, you know, my uncle Shecky used to say about Tevye. Well... I never... I don't hear those things. Well, why don't you tell us the, the first syllable of the last name of the person who directed this film? Jew. What? <laughs> Funny thing is, Norman Jewison is not Jewish. No, he's not. You know, there's a, I, I moderated an event with Norman Jewison uh, at the Skirball, uh, which, oddly enough, is, you know, a, affiliated with um, the L.A. Jew, Jewish community. And uh, it was very funny. Jewison was, uh, at the time, I can't even remember what movie we screened, but it was, it was funny. He was talking a lot about uh, when he was asked to direct Fiddler on the Roof. And he, he, he said to them, he go, you know, it had been a huge Broadway hit. And he said, uh, you, you, you know that despite my name, I'm, I'm not Jewish, right? Like, he, that's what he thought. He thought, oh, my gosh, they came to me just because the first syllable of my last name is Jew, and they must think I'm Jewish. And he is, hey, he's, he's the perfect guy. His name even has Jew in it. Like, let's get him to direct Fiddler. Like, that's what he was thinking. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, 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 we, we, just, we just like you as a, as a director. We think you're – but to, I think to this day he still wonders whether or not the job was offered to him for that reason. But well, anyway – He did a great job. He did an unbelievable job, incredible job. This is uh, – in as far as I'm concerned, this is kind of – the last of the great Broadway musical adaptations. It was 1972. You know, it was uh, three years after Oliver won Best Picture. This was nominated for Best Picture, but the big musical adaptations kind of died out after this, the big Broadway adaptations. And um, you had them all through the 60s, My Fair Lady and The Sound of Music and on and on and on. Well, and Cabaret. All, Cabaret. Also. Cabaret also roughly around the same time. But Cabaret was made... The same year, wasn't it? Wasn't it Fiddler on the Roof and Cabaret about the same year? Uh, Check co- it up there. Look it up, Mark. Do that. Cabaret? Get on that. Cabaret? Cabaret was 19... Actually, uh, Fiddler was 1971. Cabaret was 1972. So there they are. They're, it's the end of the era with yes. those two films. But uh, <laughs> Yes, by the way, I know I said Cabaret. Yes, I, I know. Yeah. No Cabernet. Letters, no letters at gods at digigods.com. Cabernet. Yeah, that's my... Cabernet. By the way, Cabernet. <laughs> Which you've never had in your life. Never. Mm-hmm. Uh, gods at digigods.com. Now, now uh, Fiddler on the Roof is wonderful. And what, what Jewison does so well here is that he understands that when you're taking a musical and you're moving it 
from uh, the milieu of the stage to the screen, you have to open it up, as they did with The Sound of Music. If you're, you know, you're looking on the stage, you're not looking at the Alps, you're not looking at, uh, you know, Nazis and the, the, scape, the scope of World War II in The Sound of Music. If you're making the movie, you had better open it up. You had better see some Alps, and you'd better see some scale and some cathedrals and legions of Nazis. And you know what I mean? You've you got to give them that stuff. And he did. Robert Wise did that in The Sound of Music. What do you do with A Fiddler on the Roof? You immerse us in the era of anti-Semitic czarist Russia. And you really let us feel it. And he does. We feel the shtetl, and the, we feel the community, and we feel the czarist troops, and we feel Starsky in his only major <laughs> screen performance. Yes. And, uh, you know, awesome. Yeah. You, you, was, you were wondering where I was going with all that setup, weren't you? I, I, Paul Michael no, Glazier, I, man. I, Paul Michael Glazier. No, but he, he was He's cre- great. But he was credited as Michael, Michael Glazier. Michael Glazier, I know. Yes. yes. Just a few years later, he became Starsky. And, and now, yeah. he, now he sells, I don't know, something on TV. Now, uh, Topol, who played Tevye, oh, he so recently, good. you know, Topol, uh, a couple years ago, he actually did his farewell tour as Tevye. Yeah. And obviously, he's, he's very old now. He was born in 1935. Yeah. So, you know, uh, he's too old to be doing this sort of stuff anymore. But he did his farewell tour, which came through uh, which came through L.A. Yep. and it was very popular, and that was great. Uh, but this is, you're right, this is it, man. This is it. This is the deal. Well, you get a, uh, a Norman Jewison and Topple commentary, both on the Blu-ray and the DVD. This is a dual set. This is a combo set, Blu-ray and DVD together, 40th anniversary. Uh, but all the really juicy stuff, forget about the DVD. You'll show it to the kids in the car, maybe. But all the great stuff here is on the Blu-ray, and it's great. It's, uh, the commentary is, is terrific. It's, you know, perspective gives you the years that have gone by, it's, it's given Jewison a lot to chew on and a lot to talk about. And the same for Topol. It's just wonderful. Um, and get, by the way, uh, uh, Topol is also the smoker's tooth polish. That's true. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, you're ripe today, aren't you? <laughs> you remember Topol and the I, smoker's I do. tooth polish? Yes, I, I do. Is that still around? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Topol, the smoker's tooth polish. Maybe we should ask a smoker. Uh, gods at digigods.com. Email us. Tell us if you use Topol, if you're a smoker. Anyway, uh, a lot of great featurettes on here, mostly retrospective stuff. Uh, but, it's, but it was tooth polish, not toothpaste. What I really enjoy, there's a storyboard featurette on here, which is always interesting, especially for older films. Uh, and uh, the, uh, there's a, um, a thing here on the production design, which I found very, very compelling. Uh, because the, this film was like from an era when they really went to town in production design. I, they don't do that for movies a lot anymore. Sci-fi movies, yes, but period films... We just haven't gotten many where there's just that real opulence where they just kind of dive in to give you just this – immerse you in the costumes and everything. And it's it's beautifully done. Well, the thing is that nowadays uh, scope is used to convey, you know, marauding aliens and space vistas and uh, sucker punch. It's not really used to convey, you know, these grand – Dr. Zhivago, Fiddler on the Roof type scenes. They just don't do that anymore. But they need to. I want those movies again. I want those movies again. Uh, Bound to be a little bit lost in this week's releases, but it shouldn't be, is the Blu-ray DVD digital copy combo release of The Incredibles. Uh, Probably still my favorite Pixar film. I love this. Uh, I cannot get enough of this movie. And... um, Brad Bird, when he went and joined Pixar, kind of added a new layer to their outreach because Brad Bird does not make regular Pixar films. You know, Brad Bird, of course, the animator who did the Iron Giant, Iron Giant the conventional way, and then his friends who were all working at Pixar said, come up here, do it the CGI way. And, of course, he's like, you know, wherever I can get a movie made, I'll do it. 
And he has so far given us uh, The Incredibles and Ratatouille, both of which are great, and they don't feel like other Pixar films. They don't feel like, you know, Finding Nemo and Toy Story and whatnot. They have that Brad Bird sensibility, and they're longer. They're all like two hours long. I mean, he really works on his scripts. And that's what I love about The Incredibles. The Incredibles is just an absolutely sensational film, obviously about this uh, superhero family where, uh, you know, Mr. Incredible, he's given up the superhero lifestyle. He's all domesticated. And, of course, the, uh, the rise of a new nemesis causes him to have to sort of don the suit again. And it's interesting. It talks, you know, it uses the whole superhero context to say a lot about family and individuality and being who you're going to be and fitting in and, you know, can you still realize your dreams late in life? And it's all, it's, it's really very poignant. I, uh, I love this movie. And it is an incredible <laughs> Blu-ray transfer. I don't get it. All the digital stuff. I mean, look, the, the, the audio, the picture, just assume it's because it was done digitally, it's going to look unbelievable on Blu-ray. It, look at that nasty yellow stain. That's what smoking just one cigarette can do to your teeth. That's why you need Topol, the smoker's tooth polish. Whatever. That was the commercial. Mark, um, I remember years ago, I went to uh, Las Vegas. I have a friend in Las Vegas. Yes. And uh, she's a bartender, and uh, she's now in nursing school. Yes. And uh, this is probably, uh, you know, maybe seven years ago. She says to me, um, I have, I, there is a, a, a literary property, I think, should be redone or should be made into a film. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, what could this be, Mrs. Bartender? What literary property would you like to see made into a film? You know what she says? Huh. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay. Which for some reason brings us to Narnia. <laughs> uh, this has become such a troubled franchise. It really has. You know, Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn uh, Treader, or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. It's on, um, there is a regular DVD, mm-hmm. and then there is one of those three bangers, which is just really annoying, because it's the Blu-ray, the DVD, and a digital copy. And by the way, if you know anybody who has ever used a digital copy I, for I, anything, I ever? No. I, write us. Some, some, some of our it. listeners have written us before and said, well, I, you know, I, I send that to my kids or I occasionally will use it to this and that or whatever. But I, I, it just does not seem to be a widespread – and in the, era, in the era of streaming, I'm not sure that it's, it's going to uh, – there's no standard for digital copy is the problem. No, this is, this is really unfortunate. This is a totally troubled franchise at this point. And this film underperformed. Each one has performed less impressively than the previous. And after the first two, uh, Disney dropped it, you know. Disney stepped away from this. And well, because Princess Caspian did not do well. Well, and no, and also because Walden Media, you know, that's Philip Anschutz, the, the mega billionaire who is very reclusive and owns lots of sports franchises and venues. He owns Staples Center here in L.A. where the Lakers and the Kings and the Clippers play, and he owns Home Depot Center where the, uh, the uh, L.A. Galaxy play soccer and, you know, where they have a lot of tennis tournaments. And he's, he's like, big in sports, owns a lot of MLS franchises and um, Walden Media is his production company they launched with Around the World in 80 Days with Jackie Chan and uh, and uh, that British guy what's his name um, uh, that dude uh, uh, Prince Charles yeah no the Coogan uh, uh, Steve Coogan yeah Steve Coogan anyway which uh, you know sort of bombed but then the Chronicles of Narnia did huge and uh, then the second Chronicles of Narnia did less huge Disney dumped them and now they're working with Fox and I don't at this point honestly I'm not sure there's going to be a fourth film there's not I you know there, there, there are seven books in the, in the Narnia you know Universe, but they, at one point they thought, "Oh my gosh, we've we've got ourselves a it's it's somewhere halfway between Harry Potter and uh, Lord of the Rings, where we struck gold." 
C.S. I Lewis. Christians will come come out by the, in droves to see these movies. Look what they did for The Passion of the Christ. It's gold mine. And, I, it, I, it, and it, it hasn't been. It's weird for, for a major studio to pick up the sloppy seconds of... Another studio. Of another studio. Yeah. And I'm not sure what Fox was thinking. I mean, I guess Fox was thinking if they can make it cheap enough. Yeah. It'll be fine. Or or that they somehow were able to strike a deal with Walden that they, if they put in a certain amount of P&A, you know, I mean, it all comes down to the numbers. It comes down to counting, and if the numbers make sense, they're going to do it. Right. But um, anyway. Well, uh, you know, we've talked too much about this thing already, <laughs> but... Uh, if you if you really are a C.S. Lewis fan, Voyage of the Dawn Treader is uh, probably the least interesting of this series so far. So I... uh, Michael Apted is directing the uh, the fourth one, The Magician's Nephew, which comes out in 2013, also by Fox. Theoretically, theoretically, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the um, it's funny because Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe got a 75 percent overall on Rotten Tomatoes. Prince Caspian got a 67 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Dawn Treader got fifty percent, so six yeah. seventy-five to sixty-seven to fifty percent. Yeah, these movies are just—they're just—they're just frittering away as far as the critics are concerned. Unreal. Uh, you know the uh, Warner Archives. Uh, you can find all these films at WarnerArchive.com. That's WarnerArchive.com. But uh, that's all their uh, burn-to-own stuff, where they you order it and then they burn it for you. They—they um, they just introduced a new title. Which I had completely forgotten about. Mark, do you remember Abbott and Costello meet Captain Kidd? That's the one where Abbott and Costello meet Captain Kidd. You've seen it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I had totally forgotten that this existed. It is not one of the better uh, Abbott and Costello films because there is a boxed set of Abbott and Costello stuff that was released not too long ago. Um, This is one of the kind of outliers. But it uh, it isn't terrible. Uh, Charles Lawton shows up as Captain Kidd. And it's, uh, it's got some funny moments. Uh, so if you are a completist, it's out. Just letting you know, you're probably not going to find it very easily. Obviously not in any stores or a lot of online e-tailers. But uh, I believe Amazon will have it. And obviously if you go to warnerarchive.com, you will find it there. Amusing in, in fits and starts, I would say. And I, I will not stop you from saying Thank that. Thank you. Uh, before we get over into a couple of foreign things, just winding up a little bit here, Tracy and Hepburn, The Definitive Collection. Uh, this is all nine films and a bonus tenth disc in one boxed set. Really? From Warner Brothers. Yeah, they, they went and did all nine films that they appeared in together. Now, Middle of the Year, Keeper of the Flame, Without Love, The, the Sea of Grass, State of the Union, Adam's Rib. Just, you know, they didn't do very many good films together. Um, <laughs> See, that's the thing. Mike, desk set. Guess who's coming to dinner? Well, really, you got Adam's rib, desk set, and guess who's coming to dinner? Pat, Pat Woman, and Mike. Woman of the year. Pat and Mike. Pat and Mike. Yeah. But, but, but again, look, it's uh, just because they made movies together does not mean that you need all of them. Uh, look, woman, like I said, Woman of the Year, Pat and Mike, Adam's rib, to some degree, guess who's coming to dinner. But, uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff is just not remarkable. Without Love, Sea of Grass, State of the Union, Keeper of the Flame, uh, Desk Set. These are not great movies. So I get what Warner is doing here, but um, it's not uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a judgment call. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Don't look at this on the shelf and just go, oh, my gosh, Tracy Tepper, all of them, and do an impulse buy. It's not going to serve you well because some of these movies you will – if you watch them once, you'll only ever watch them once. So you might be better just buying the individual titles that you like. Uh, Colin Firth did a movie called Summer in Genoa, uh, directed by Michael Winterbottom. 
Also starring Catherine Keener. Pretty good movie. I don't think this ever got a theatrical release, Mark. Well, it's not like uh, Colin Firth is a popular actor. Well, Although I, I do love my, uh, Winter, Michael Winterbottom. I'm yeah, a big fan. This, was, this was made, obviously, before he was uh, suddenly uh, amazing and Oscar-winning and all that stuff. It is... Uh, um, it's pretty conventional, to be honest. It's uh, it's about a guy who's just sort of trying to deal with um, something that has, you know, basically trying to hold his family together. It's kind of a courtship of Eddie's father type thing done Winterbottom, but he um, the it's it, the, the the there's a movie. I'm trying to remember what it is. It's like a Cary Grant movie that has a very similar plot, I think. Star although Wars? Although I think it's more of a... Star Wars? Or maybe it's a Rock Hudson movie. I can't remember. But it has a very similar plot. Anyway, Star Wars? He, uh, so he, he's got two daughters. He go, they move from Chicago to Genoa, and uh, you know, Genoa kind of ins- infuses their souls and helps them heal and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I won't fill you in with any of the little details, but it's uh, Catherine Keener is very good. Colin Firth is very good. Script is okay. It's surprisingly conventional for Michael Winterbottom. Uh, but the only reason that this is being released right now, and this came out like, I think it was released theatrically in the UK back in 2008, the only reason this is being released right now on DVD is frankly because um, he's an Oscar winner now, and obviously they see a chance at marketing this, uh, from E1 Entertainment, by the way, they see a chance at marketing this in a way that they couldn't before because they can say, oh, Oscar winner Colin Firth. Uh, You know, like three months ago, they wouldn't have had a chance to actually get any attention on this. I mean, look, we're talking about it. Right. Well, that's because we are cool. All right, Mark. Last two things here are uh, a couple of bl- uh, Blu-rays from Criterion Collection. Uh, Le Cercle Rouge, the Jean-Pierre Melville gangster film, uh, has been out on DVD. It is now out on Blu-ray. All the same extras. Uh, really great. 1970. This was one of uh, Melville's last kind of really great gritty movies. And uh, it's, uh, it is awfully good. Worth having on Blu-ray for sure. And uh, let's spend the last little bit of the show talking about white material which is a, uh, a terrifically good Blu-ray, but I think it's a film that you are quite fond of. Uh, I am. The Claire it's Denis a, film. It's a it film was... by, yeah, Claire Denis is a, uh, just a, such a talented uh, director, and uh, her last film was um, 30, 39 Shots of Rum, which I thought was equally terrific. And uh, here, Isabelle Huppert is just fantastic. I don't know why you shouldn't get nominated for a, uh, an Academy Award. Uh, she lives in Africa, and she runs a coffee plantation, and the plantation is just crumbling. It's her family owns it. And the whole point is that there's a civil war in Africa at the time, and so she's trying to kind of put her family life back together, including her um, <clears throat> her husband, ex-husband, played by Christopher Lambert, who's not bad. And what's great about the film is that, you know, Claire Denis does not approach this like some sort of a thriller where you get this woman who's in this war-torn area, and she's trying to save her coffee plantation, her family, and her really her life, because it's so dangerous there. It really, it winds up being... Very, uh, kind of very evocative and gripping and almost dreamy, and you get a sense of colonialism sort of in its last, in its kind of death throes. And I just loved how De- how um, Huppert and Denis uh, kind of combined to create this character who is sort of like, you know, so much of the performance is without dialogue, that's and you great. get this See, woman that's... who is just, you get this woman who is just lost. She's lost in time. She's lost. She doesn't know where her future is. She doesn't know why Wade wants me to hurry up. Because we're near the end of the show. Okay, fine. But that's it. That's good. White material. I, look, I, I love Isabelle Huppert. And that's now on Blu-ray from Criterion. 
go get it. Uh, get you some Criterion. You can email us at gods at digigods.com, and uh, we will be here all week, and we will see you next week.